Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. What a week it has been in politics. The last 72 hours, uh, I would say, have been unprecedented. Um, never in my lifetime have I seen anything like it. Uh, certainly, I've never, not read anything like it, and I do pray it is unprecedented that this will not be the kind of new normal when we think of politics moving forward. But uh, it's been a game-changing 72 hours, and I'm going to be watching tonight's debate on the edge of my seat, seeing where things are going to go. But uh, lots for us to be praying about, lots for us to be asking God for wisdom on and seeking his favor on. Um, let me just say this, God loves America more than any politician does. You believe that? That, any, that, that? There's no party that loves this country more than God does and even loves this country more than we do as followers of Christ. And so uh, I think God can be trusted. And I think we can trust God with our outcome, our future, and know that it is in good hands. Now, before we jump back into our series, God on Politics, let me mention uh, just a couple of things. One, we have an event coming up in a couple of weeks here for all those who serve on Team GCC. So if you are on Team GCC and you serve in one of our ministries and you partner with us and you've linked arms with us to serve God in some ministry here at Grace Crossing Church, you should have received um, an email, uh, correspondence inviting you to this event, this appreciation dinner that we're having. So if you did not get an invitation and you are serving on Team GCC, please, please, please let us know. We want to be sure that you are adequately informed about events like this that are coming up. And so uh, please let us know and reach out to us. More importantly, go to our website and register for the event, which you can do from the registration link at our landing page. So we want to get everybody registered for this so we make sure we can provide plenty of food for everybody that will be attending. If for some reason you're right now kind of bummed, because you're not getting an invitation or you're not going to be able to attend, it's not too late to link arms with Team GCC and be a part of a ministry. So grab one of the connection cards this morning. Uh, let us know if you're interested to serve, and we will come alongside you. Uh, our Director of Engagement, Carol Miller, come alongside you, and we'll help you find that meaningful place of connection and involvement here at Grace Crossing Church. Now, throughout this entire series, we've been encouraging everyone to post less and pray more. But my, my feed on my Facebook has been getting political comments from people at Grace Crossing Church, and they've been relatively, really positive. And I want to just thank you this morning for that. And so I'm seeing these posts come in my, my wall and my feed, and I'm thinking just how uh, grateful I am for our church. So I want to add to that comment this morning, pray more and post less with an add-on. Post with purpose. So if you are going to post, do it with purpose. And you can use our hashtag, God on Politics, which is our series. If you're going to post, use whatever social media outlet you want, Facebook or Twitter, or you can use Instagram or Snapchat, whatever, whatever you like, whatever works for you, but hashtag it with God on Politics. So here's the only caveat. If it's a negative post, don't put God on Politics, okay? Okay. Because I, I want to think that nobody is, you've not even heard everything we've talked about. But if it's positive, um, then go ahead and use the God on Politics hashtag. And let's create some positive energy and momentum about the way the Lord would want us to move forward and engage uh, in politics this season. Now, as we jump back into this this morning, let me just bring you up to date on where we are. So we started our series by giving us a real foundation the underpinning for this series, which were three principles. Number one, Jesus did not come to incite a political revolution. Jesus came to inspire a kingdom movement. You and I are part of a kingdom movement, something so much bigger than politics, so much bigger than political parties, which brought us to a second principle. Our citizenship in God's kingdom matters more than any earthly citizenship. There is no citizenship in this earth, because it's temporary, that matters like your citizenship in God's kingdom matters. And you and I are literally called by God to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God in everything we do here on this earth. 
which brought us to a third principle. Though you may align and identify with a political party, our identity is found in Jesus Christ. May we never forget where our identity comes from. Who we are and whose we are should inform the way we engage in politics. It will enable us to engage in politics in a way that does not discredit the gospel and does not dishonor the name of Jesus Christ. We can be on the right side of the issues, but the wrong side of the gospel if we don't do it with the spirit of Jesus Christ. We talk then about, about government, the establishment of government, why it exists, and just in a nutshell, whether we like this or not, government is a moral good It is an extension of God's order, which means politics have ethical implications. They do matter. We talked then about partisanship and the reality that we live in a country and a land that wants to pigeonhole us and put us into a camp. And we're all asking the same question, right? What camp is God in? Like, where does God fall when it comes to the parties? Well, God is not partisan. God is not bipartisan. God is nonpartisan. God does not have partisanship. It's not at the core of who God is. And so when you ask the question, where does God side? Whose side is God on? I can answer that question according to Scripture. God will always be on the side of righteousness. God will always be on the side of justice. God will always be on the side of mercy and compassion. God will always be on the side of humility. That's the side that God will always be on. That's why the Bible said he opposes the proud but gives what? Grace to the humble. If you want God's favor, if you want God's nod of approval, then you want to get on the side that aligns with the priorities of the kingdom of God. And then we talked last weekend about equal rights. And equal rights are simply human rights that no organization, no institution, no universal institution or organization or government, no matter how noble it may be, can define what the rights are of human beings. Our founding documents got it right. We have been created and endowed by God with certain unalienable rights, which means we can neither give them away because they are inherent to who we are as human beings, and no one else can really give those to us. Now, the laws of our land can defend them. The laws of our land can protect us from violations against them. There can be policies put in place, but you cannot legislate human rights. Those are given by God himself. Now this morning, we're going to get down even a little deeper into the weeds on politics, literally. Because this morning, we're going to talk about the environment and what our rights and our responsibilities are when it comes to the environment. Now, I remember in elementary school, learning about the earth And like most of you, I learned the earth was a good place, and I learned that we should not pollute the earth. And so to me as a kid, what that told me is, don't throw my chewing gum on the ground, and don't throw trash out your window. So I knew the what of pollution, and the what is, don't pollute. What I didn't fully appreciate was the why how my decisions can impact positively or negatively the delicate ecosystem that is in place in our land. And so as I've grown in this, what I've learned is that there is a significant connection between the two. And, And we've got to understand that the way human beings interact with environment and the way that government interacts with both the environment and human beings has a tremendous and profound impact, both negatively and positively, on both. Human beings are affected, but but so can the environment be affected. So I know there are some here this morning that are uber-passionate about the environment. Uh, And you are uber-passionate about global warming and climate change, but you are few and far between. 
the vast majority of people sitting here this morning actually could kind of care less about the topic and wish it would move away from the national stage and the national conversation. When some people hear the word environment, they check out mentally. I've already lost a few of you this morning, okay? But I'm going to ask you to re-engage with me, okay? I'm going to ask you to give me the next 30 minutes or so to build a really important case for how God speaks into politics in the area of the environment. Now, why do people not care? Why is there so much indifference when it comes to the environment? Well, I think there are several reasons. I think some don't see it as a serious issue. Some doubt the science behind it, and some question the validity and the significance of the subject altogether. And so they're indifferent because they dismiss it as being relevant, important. Some don't see it as a spiritual issue, quite frankly. Some don't see how God relates to the environment and therefore don't understand their unique relationship to the environment. They don't see that there is one, and so their life and faith is not impacted by this subject. And then there are some who do not see this as a political issue, and so they're indifferent. Whether we like it or not, it is a political issue. And it has been placed at the forefront of politics, not just this election cycle, but it's gaining steam and momentum as we move along. There are two sides of the pendulum when it comes to the environment. And actually, both sides are well represented by the standard bearers of the major parties. One candidate tweeted not too long ago that global warming is a hoax that was created by China to make manufacturing in America non-effective, irrelevant. Another candidate Another standard bearer on the other national party actually said, and I quote, climate change is the single greatest threat to national security. So which is it? Right? And I'm going to let you do the work, the hard work of coming to terms with where you land on that. You can do the research. You can look at it. But I think the reality is we've got to answer as we think about this issue, a very core issue that I think it hangs in the balance with the environment. And here's the core issue of our question this morning. How responsible are we for the environment? What degree of responsibility do I have when it comes to the environment? And what are my rights as it relates to the environment? Now, we're going to build a case for that this morning because I think the Bible has a lot to say about this politically charged issue. And by the way, have you ever looked at the etymology of the word politics? I was listening to a comedian one time, and he said that politics comes from two words, poly meaning many, and ticks meaning blood-sucking vermin, okay? <laughs> Not far not far from the truth, not far. But the word actually is a Greek word that is interpreted two ways, affairs of the cities or the state and that which relates to citizens. Now, you can hardly talk about the affairs of the state and our world and that which relates to citizens without talking about the world that we live in. You can't do it. So the question is this morning, what's our worldview when we look at this issue of the environment? There are four general worldviews that most people have when it comes to this topic. The first one is a dualism or a dualistic worldview. The dualistic worldview says this, everything in spirit is good, everything in matter is evil, and because the earth is matter, the earth is evil. Ancient religions and philosophers, many of them actually had that particular philosophy of the world. That because the world is not spiritual or spirit, it's evil. And it, and it doesn't matter. It's insignificant. And there's a second worldview that many people have that's actually gaining energy. And it's an animistic worldview. We might call this a new age 
worldview. The animistic worldview sees that the properties of nature, they believe, have a spiritual essence to them. So that animals and plants and inanimate objects like rocks actually connect us somehow to God. Now, my father-in-law has an art gallery uh, in, in our hometown of Morgantown, Pennsylvania. And at that gallery, it is not just an art gallery, it is also a rock shop that my brother-in-law, who's now retired, leads and runs, been doing it for years. So when you drive through Main Street in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, you'll see a sign that says, Brady's Village Art Gallery and Rock Shop. And I don't know how many times I've heard my father-in-law tell me a story about somebody who had walked into the art gallery and rock shop that day who actually was looking for a particular rock that had healing qualities in it. Wanting to find a certain rock that could bring them wisdom or good luck or knowledge. There are people, believe me, that still have an animistic view and ideology when it comes to the world. Now, many Christians actually fall into one of the other two worldviews. The third worldview I think a lot of people have is a fatalistic worldview. The fatalistic worldview simply says, what's going to happen is going to happen. Nothing I do can impede it from happening. Nothing I do can accelerate it in happening. It is just, it is what it is. It is going to happen. Fate will take its course. There's a lot of Christians that tend to live that way. And then there's a fourth worldview that actually is perhaps even more dangerous, it's a materialistic worldview. Utilitarian worldview. And what does the utilitarian or the materialistic worldview say? It says, everything on this earth is for my immediate gratification. It is given to me so that I can live a happier life, so that I can be content as I pass through this life. What happens to other people doesn't really make a difference as long as I'm getting what I want to get out of it. Now, there is a fifth worldview. And it's a fifth worldview that I want to submit to you today because it's actually the first of our six core values here at Grace Crossing Church. It's the one I believe God would want us to have. It's called a biblical worldview. When we look through the lenses of the Bible at whatever issue it is we're talking about, I think the Bible is what gives us the frame of understanding our interaction, our relationship, and our rights when it comes to these particular issues. And so to fully appreciate our relationship to the environment, we must first obtain a biblical theology of the environment. If we're going to fully appreciate our relationship to the world in which we live, then we must obtain a biblical theology of our relationship to the world. So the question is, what does the Bible teach us about the earth, about the environment? I'm going to quickly go through these, but they're all significant. Number one, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. The first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I'm going to do a poll here this morning of our, of our congregation. And I've got to figure out the right people who are going to be in my sample audience for this. So here's what I need to do. If you were educated in the public school system, not private school, not parochial school, not homeschooled, but you were educated through public education, I want to see your hands if that's you. Public education. Good. You're all in my poll this morning. The rest of you need to watch, okay? Need to watch. So because I think it would be skewed. But So here's what I want to ask you. In, of those who were educated through the public education system. How many of you learned in your public education that the earth was created by God? That is how the world came to be. Can I see your hands? Okay, a few of you. Notice the age. Okay, 
Just saying. All right. How, how many of you, how many of you learned, how many of you learned that creationism um, was a religious theory, but that scientifically proven we were designed and created, the world came to be through evolution. Can I see your hands if that's you? You were taught that in your education. And, and then how many of you finally never even heard about creationism or that God created the earth in your education publicly? You only learned about evolution. Can I see your hands if that's you? Okay. So it's very interesting when we think about this. If I had asked that question to a congregation when I pastored 100 years ago, every single person would have raised their hand on the first question. It was an understanding in our world that was really derived through the prism of Scripture. Those first five words, by the way, change everything about our understanding of this world. In the beginning, God created. Here's the second theological truth that I want you to see. Where God created the earth, he kept saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He created man, it's very good. But here's the second point. God's good earth was subverted by sin. God's good earth was subverted by sin. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. His sin spread death throughout the whole world, so everything began to grow old and die. Why? For all sinned. Here's the point. Our natural world is no longer what God originally intended it to be. Our natural world is now tainted by destruction and devastation and brokenness. When man sinned, there was something that happened both to man and to the earth. And what happened to man is that he had to start doing something he had never done before. And the earth was responding in a way that was not originally planned by God. It was not the original intent. We read about it in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 18. It says, cursed is the ground. This is God's judgment and and declaration over the earth. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Before sin entered the human race, mankind never ate off the ground. Mankind ate from the trees that provided sustenance for them, that provided their nutrition that they needed. There was never a stooping down, a bending down, a working, if you will, and toiling for their food. And along the way, what came with it? The Bible says thorns and thistles were going to be how their food was going to be harvested. Now, when the Bible uses this word, thorns and thistles, it is not simply to be taken literally. It is also to be taken as a poetic imagery of sorts, a concrete example that the world that we live in will be filled now with destruction and difficulty and disease and sickness and even death that we will have to put up with earthquakes and floods and pestilence and famine and droughts, that we'll experience poisonous plants and poisonous food and poisonous insects. It's not a pretty place all the time. And so what are you planning to ask God when you get to heaven? You ever thought about it? I know my question, why mosquitoes? Right? I want to know. I just want to know why mosquitoes? But, but there was something different about what we experience today, that they're carrying a virus called Zika that never had been experienced before. When man got broken, when man sinned, he became flawed, and the world around him became a flawed place to live. So this past weekend, devastation hit our southern friends. And along the East Coast, Hurricane Matthew not only devastated the United States of America, but the tropics. 
the Bahamas, Haiti, these places have been, hundreds and hundreds of lives have now been lost, damaged as we can only imagine. Here's the question, was that God's plan? Was that God's intentional will? Was that the world and the earth God wanted? No, it was not the plan. Sin has subverted God's good earth. And here's the third theological thing I want you to know, is that because of man's flawed nature, man is now out of sync with both God and his creation. We are out of sync. So I I watched a documentary um, a couple of years ago after the tsunamis crashed into Asia. And here's one of the things that stood out to me in the documentary. Two or three days before the tsunamis hit land, the animals were moving to higher ground. How is it that they knew something that human beings did not know? It's because we are flawed and we are now out of sync with God. We're out of sync with the world around us. We do not live in the garden in a pristine, perfect place like Adam and Eve had. It's not the same. And the fourth thing I want you to hear is this. Though there's evil in the world and though the environment is not what it was intended, there is still a lot of good in the earth. There's still a lot of good in the earth God created. It is now a mixture of beauty and incredible natural resources intermingled with some difficulty and pain and hardship that comes with it. Isaiah chapter 45. For the Lord is God and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to live in, not to be a place of empty chaos. God intended and still can use this world as a place that's filled with a lot of good. And ultimately, here's the fifth thing I want you to hear theologically. God will one day restore the heavens and the earth back to its original place. That God is going to repurpose one day And we will have a new heavens and a new earth that we will experience. And I have no idea how God's going to do it, but I believe if he said it, it's going to happen. Here's what the Bible says about that. Romans chapter 8, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to a day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Okay, ladies, you have an edge on us, guys. We do not know what those pains of childbirth feel like. I watched my wife go through it three times, but I didn't live it. And I know this. I know that it is excruciating. There's nothing in the world quite like it. And what the Bible here is suggesting is that all of us as human beings, there's something groaning inside of us looking forward to the day when we're not going to be getting older and weaker, when we're not going to be experiencing death and decay. I got really good news for you this morning. You are a day closer to death than when you came in here this morning. How do you like my encouragement today? But it's true. Where are we moving? We're moving toward death and decay. Where's the earth moving? It's moving toward death and decay. There is something about it that is groaning for the return of the Savior of the world to put the pieces back together and make this world what God originally intended it to be. More on that as we close this morning. With that theological framework, how should you and I move forward? What should be our understanding of our relationship to the world and our obligations when it comes particularly to the environment. Well, there are three things I want to submit to you today. Here's the first one. Our relationship to the environment is intended to be symbiotic. Big word, but I'm going to unpack it. Our relationship to the environment is intended to be symbiotic. 
I'm going to take you back to school for just a moment. My favorite class in school of all the subjects was not recess. My favorite subject was biology. And I had a phenomenal teacher, Mr. Epler. I loved Mr. Epler's teaching. He was passionate about the environment. He was passionate about biology. He was passionate about the subjects he taught. And I remember sitting in his class and thinking, I want more of this. And so I registered every option I had to pick a class. I went through the different layers of biology onto advanced biology because I wanted to hear the teaching of Mr. Epler. And now looking back, I wasn't even a follower of Christ when I first went into his classes. But I look back on that and I recognize how that really was so helpful for me in informing and helping my spiritual formation. I think God gave me a love for the world, a love for creation, long before I even knew it was a gift from God. And just let me put a footnote on the story with Mr. Epler. He taught me so much about life and biology. When I was a a freshman in college studying for the ministry, I was invited to go to my my home church where I'd come to faith in Christ, a small Methodist church in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, which actually this past year closed its doors for good. But I remember going to that church preaching my very first sermon. I was so nervous. I had no idea how I was going to get through this. And then I get up, and guess who's sitting in the crowd? He was not a church-going person as far as I knew, but there was Mr. Epler who my father-in-law who taught with him told him I was coming. And I was coming to, to speak at the church. And he came in support. But here's the incredible part of the story. At the end of that service, Mr. Epler gave his life to Jesus Christ, decided to be a follower of Christ. And all of a sudden, his love for biology took on a new perspective. As far as I know, he continues today to serve the Lord and follow Jesus. Man, does that make your heart happy. He taught me so much, and if there's one thing I could have offered him, it would have been salvation. There's nothing better than that. Here's why I take you back to biology class. The word symbiotic is a biological term, and it has to do with the interaction of two organisms in their relationship with one another. It has to do with the way they interact and depend on one another. But in symbiosis, there are actually four different categories of it. It's not just symbiotic, one thing, but it's four different layers or ways that organisms interact with one another. The first one is called immensalism. And immensalism is simply two organisms that are in relationship with one another where one is damaged or destroyed for the benefit of the other. So think of sheep grazing in a pasture, stepping on and trotting on the grass and eating the grass in the pasture that it needs. The second form of symbiosis is called commensalism, and commensalism is two organisms organisms in relationship where one is benefited while the other is not harmed or affected. Think now about an egret, a bird sitting on top of a cattle. That while the cattle is grazing, the bird is simply eating the flies that are bothering the cattle, benefiting from the food. The third form of symbiosis is called parasitism. It comes from parasites. It's when two organisms are in relationship, but one is actually using the other to sustain its life. Think of the fleas on your dog. That is what parasitism is. The fourth form is called mutualism. Mutualism is where two organisms are in relationship and both are receiving mutual benefit from that relationship. You look at our world today, there has been a lot of parasitism. There has even been commensalism. There at times has been immensalism. But that's not the way God intended it. God intended the relationship of mankind and the relationship of this earth 
to be one where there was a mutual benefit. Because I want you to think about what God does. God creates the heavens and the earth to be a good gift to humanity. But then God expects us to do our part in taking care of the way God has created this earth. Here's what Psalm 24 says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. And because everything belongs to God, everything is intended to be helping to grow our lives toward God. And we simply cannot ignore our responsibility when it comes to the environment. Which brings me to the second point. Stewarding the earth's resources is both an ethical right and a moral good. Let me say that again. Stewarding the earth's resources is both an ethical right and a moral good. Now, some of you are thinking right now, doesn't that mean the same thing? Are not ethics morality and morality ethics? No, they are not. They are completely different. This word, ethics, comes from the Greek word ethos, and it refers to the collective values and philosophies of a society. It actually is the way that a society sees the interaction of it with one another and the world around it. Every culture has an ethos. And every subculture, like Grace Crossing Church, has an ethos. We have a way that we think of life. We have shared values and visions and principles that guide us. Morality is a completely different word. comes from the Greek word mors, which means customs or habits or behaviors. So morality is how we live and how a culture lives out its ethos. So let me say it this way. Where ethics deal with what is right and focus on what is right, morality focuses on what is acceptable within that framework. And that's where things get sticky. Because here's what happens in our world. This is what happens at times in our nation. There are times that that which is acceptable is deemed as right. But what happens when our ethos as followers of Christ collide with the ethos of the world around us? What happens with what we believe stands in stark contrast and conflict to the ethos of the culture around us. What happens when the norms become normative is that Christian people begin to swim upstream against the cultural current. We begin to think differently, we talk differently, we believe with a different set of values. And listen to, again, what I'm saying this morning, and I'm going to get to Scripture for this. Stewarding the earth's resources are both an ethical right and a moral good. They are first an ethical right. Genesis 1. Then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now I'm going to leave that up because I want to lock on this for just a moment. That word govern, govern in the Hebrew is the word kibosh, which literally means to have dominion over, to steward, and to actually bring in submission. It's the same word that's used of the children of Israel when they're going into the land of promise, Canaan, and they're bringing it under submission to the authority of God so that it can what? Provide for them. What the Bible here is teaching is really significant. Because the Bible is teaching that it is actually an ethical right for us to mine for and resource for the goods that the earth can provide us. 
It means that we are to both enjoy, be fruitful, the abundant supply that the world has. God wants us to enjoy the abundant supply. But don't look now. He also wants us to expand the ways that we find that. We have not yet tapped into all of the resources that are available to us to mine the resources of this earth for the betterment of humanity. We haven't done it yet. And this is where regulations of our government come into play in a very stark way. Because if those particular policies are in line with the way we care for our land, but they also enable us to do what God gave us the priority to do, then it's good. But if they prevent industry, businesses, business owners, entrepreneurs from doing some good things and mining for the resources of this earth for the betterment of humanity, then it's not so good. And that becomes really complicated. The Bible here makes it clear that we have this responsibility by God to govern. And listen, it is our ethical right and responsibility to do it. But it is also a moral good. Now here's what I mean by that. Verse number, chapter 2, verse number 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, watch this, to work it and care for it. There are some of us sitting here today that we always thought the work began at the fall. It didn't. Work was not a a result of sin. God put man in the garden for a purpose, and the purpose was that he would work it, that he would find the resources, that he would leverage those resources for the good of his family and the generations to come. But watch this, he would also care for it. He would also care well for what God had given to him. And I think that brings us to really what I would say would be the biggest idea I'd have for this morning. Stewarding the earth's resources is our responsibility, but it must be done to the glory of God. It must be done to the glory of God. It has to be done for the right purposes and the right reasons and the right motives. And can I tell you, so much of Scripture speaks about how we care for that which God has entrusted to us, that we be good stewards, that we be found faithful. Listen, when Jesus said, your obligation is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, how many of us here would agree that the idea of our neighbor was not just the guy living next door, but it was those who were far away from us, even geographically, that God wants us to care for every neighbor that's in our life. And I think God would also say this. We've got to concede that loving our neighbor also has to do with generations that are yet to come. That we be aware that what we do today can have a long-lasting impact on generations that are yet to come. And good, godly stewardship would say, I want to mine it, I want to resource it, I want to find it for the betterment of humanity to make sure that people that are poor get good jobs, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, that those who are given, have ability to work are given opportunities. How does that happen? It happens when we do our job, and government doesn't get in the way of doing our job so that we can do what God has called us and entrusted us to do. Now, don't hear that I'm saying no regulations. I'm not. I'm just suggesting there has to be a balance between what they are and what purpose they serve. Here's the final thing this morning as we close. And this is the most important thing I want you to hear. Man was not created for the earth. The earth was created for man. Now don't mistake that. You remove the heavens and the earth, you have no human existence. So in one way, we are accountable in the sense that we are given life on this earth because of the environment. 
but we are also called to steward and care well for it, recognizing that it is God's gift to us. We are not given to this earth. This earth was given to us. And here's the final point. Humankind was created to live forever. The earth was created to last for a season. And that's important for us to hear. We as human beings are created to live forever. The earth as we know it was created to last for a season. So as we close this morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture in its entirety. And and the reason I want to is because there's so much in it that I want you to see about this reality of what God has in store for our future. It's found in 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 13. It's not a new version this morning, so if you have your mobile device open, you can probably shut it down right now and take a look at this with me. Most importantly, I want to remind you in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth, following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forgot that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anybody to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear with fire. The earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in God's sight. The final theological truth I want you to hear this morning is though this world is broken and flawed, it is not what God intended it to be. There is coming a day when God is going to restore this earth back to the place that God intended it to be. It will be a new earth. There will be new heavens. We will understand and live our lives out in a way that we've never even imagined. You go, I'm going to be far gone when that time comes. Oh, but you're going to be alive. You're going to be living as a follower of Jesus into eternity and into ages and eons that have not yet been born. But we are very much going to experience that. And we're going to get to be a part of that. And that is our hope. That's what I hitch my hope to. It is not the reality that politics may go my way. People may decide what I think the country should decide. It is about hitching my hope to the reality that God's going to repurpose this world And the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. And there's going to be peace on this earth like we have never seen. And all of a sudden, the destruction and the death and the suffering and the sickness will be no more. But until that day and until that time, we are called to use this earth. But we are not called to abuse it. And we are not called to misuse it. We are called to use it for the glory of God. And may God give us wisdom. May God give us his grace on how we do that well. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Father in heaven, thank you 
for the heavens and the earth. Thank you for the way that you have gifted us with this planet. I stand in amazement so often as I did with my, my family just last night walking and looking up through an app at the stars and the constellations and reminding myself of just how big you are and how good you are and that there are galaxies upon galaxies, many that have yet to be discovered because that spoken word of creation is continuing into the galaxies, into the, the, the universe, and I'm grateful for it, God. I'm so thankful that we are just but a small part and yet a significant part of what you're doing here on this earth. Thank you that as followers of Christ, we have the um, beautiful rights given to us of governing the earth, but we also have the responsibility and obligation to steward it with humility and to the glory of God. And, and my prayer today is you'll help us as we, as we work through the political implications of this. We know where the parties stand. We've, we've heard the standard bearers, but what we want to hear more than anything is you. And we want to know, God, where we should land. And so give us, I pray, wisdom and knowledge for what we do, even in the conservation of this earth, to steward these resources well, that we would not live as people that are thinking only about us, only what we can get out of it for instant gratification, but may we be sensitive, God, to our responsibility to love our neighbor as our own self. So help us, we pray. Give us your grace, God, into this. And may we make choices, Lord, moving forward in our lives that are informed by your word and a biblical worldview. We thank you for it. We love you. We honor you. And we pray your grace to go with us throughout this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.